Today we begin a new series on family life called Throwback. We use that term to talk about things from yesteryear, from a long time ago that we look back, and we usually use that positively. We say something was a throwback when we see somebody maybe dive for a ground ball if they're playing sports, or uh, they use really uh, professional style language, well-mannered things. You see a little kid go, Mr. So-and-so, or Mrs. So-and-so, or thank you very much, or whatever, you're like, oh, that's kind of a throwback because we do things differently now than we used to. I remember when that used to refer primarily to things that were in, say, the 40s or the 50s or the 60s, and now I am old enough that it's made its way even into the 80s and the time that I grew up in. But throwbacks are things that we look back on with some fondness to the point that uh, we admire them when we see them. Now, I want us to talk about family life in those terms, about what it means to look back uh, to become a throwback as a family, whatever shape your family takes at the current moment, which doesn't mean that it's, you know, uh, ancient in the sense of, okay, we're going to try and restore all the traditional family structures, et cetera, et cetera. Not so much that. It's looking back at the biblical way of doing things. So I don't mean throwing back to the 1980s per se. I mean throwing it way back to biblical wisdom because we live in an era in which we are surrounded by foolishness, opinions of all kinds, People say, this is what you ought to do, this is what you ought to do, this is what you ought to do, and yet there's something inside of us that knows that something isn't necessarily right, that you can, you can kind of taste after you drink from it uh, an aftertaste of foolishness. So we're going to take some time, we're going to look at the teachings of Jesus, we're going to look at the Proverbs, we're going to look at biblical wisdom for family life, because we're here in the age of COVID-19, and we're all trapped in our houses. So if we're going to be trapped there, uh, why not look at ways that we can rebuild or continue to build our families in ways that honor God as best we can. So again, dictionary.com defines throwback this way, a reversion to a previous type. So again, people generally love throwbacks. People don't like people who just kind of continue to live in the past, but somebody who very much lives in the present, but carries with them the best of bygone eras. So if you were down on Grand Avenue here in Escondido or something, and you see a 65 Mustang go by, you get a warm, fuzzy feeling. You're like, wow, that's beautiful. That's an amazing car. Uh, if you see a, an exquisite, rare, in perfect condition vinyl record from a former era, you're like, man, that's awesome or, or whatever. Uh, we even had this hashtag on Instagram many years ago, Throwback Thursday. Some people still do it, where all you do is is put that hashtag, Throwback Thursday, and, and post things from the previous life you've had, uh, from when you were a kid or something like that. So you'll notice that we've done that even in the logo we've got. And we want to get as many of your throwback pictures as we can so we can use them in the weeks to come. But rather than being consumed by the cultural forces around us, our families really should become throwbacks. Now, again, I don't mean traditional like Ward and June Cleaver and that kind of stuff. I mean throwbacks in the sense of reversion to a previous type, biblical family, families that are rooted in scripture rather than just kind of tossed around by the winds of culture or the anxiety that pervades many of our lives. So this is a series really about the things that never change about what it means to be a Christian family or to follow Christ as a family, whatever that family may look like. So we begin with this core spiritual truth. How we build at the bottom determines life at the top. The throwback principle, if you were going to put it in old language, might be do the job the right way. 
I remember my dad telling me that sometimes. He'd let, say, hey, son, go rake up the leaves or whatever. And I would do a very mediocre job. I'd whine about it first, and then eventually I would go out there. But once my whining got me nowhere, other than the ire of my own dad, and then I'd be sent out to break the leaves. We had this enormous sycamore tree in our front yard. It would drop leaves that crunched under your feet all over the yard, like buried the grass. And so cleaning up the leaves was not a small thing. And so for me to go out there after my whining and do it, I often did a very uh, average job. And I would be sent back with the instruction to do it the right way. So Jesus gives us that instruction today. Matthew chapter 7, 24 to 27. I want to read it. It's very short. But if you're looking for something that will change your life and help you build your home in a way that will last, no matter what happens, this is the story. So let's listen to this. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, 24 to 27. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, if you're looking for something to underline, underline that. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Then the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So Jesus tells this story of two houses during a flood. One stands tall, the other one goes splat. We even had a Sunday school song that kind of uh, almost was jubilant about the house built on the rock and then the one built on the sand and the, and the house on the sand went splat. Um, they both, uh, these houses seem to be built right next to each other. They have the same goal, meaning they both want to build good houses as far as we know. Nobody sets out to say, oh, I want my house to be a uh, to collapse under any pressure. Both of them want to build high-quality houses. Uh, they hear the same truth. Jesus introduces the story of both houses the same way, meaning both had heard these words of mine. That, that, that's how he words it. They both heard his words. They both seem to have the same builder. Uh, they both s seem to be built relatively in the same place. They seem to face the same storm. So what's the difference? The difference is on what they are built. So, with that in mind, I want to take you into the wild throwback realm of board games. Join me. Now, I want to introduce you to this particular game. Many of you already know, whoa, I almost ruined the game right there by bumping the table. This game is called Jenga. Now, I like Jenga for a lot of reasons. Uh, on the one hand, it's a non-screaming game. Okay, I don't like screaming games. Those of you who like games where you just sit there and scream over everything, uh, go away. The people of, of America prefer quiet games. I prefer things like Risk or Monopoly or things that don't involve screaming like Pictionary or Pit or uh, anything where people scream. Jenga's great because you only scream at the end. There's one scream, and, and I'm willing to concede one scream for everybody, okay? So the way this works is you take turns pulling a piece out, all right? So I'll give you an example here on the top. I can slide this piece out, all right? And you do it without disturbing the others, and you keep doing it. Now, that's an easy one. That's right from the top. But if I decide I'm going to go right here, then you have to try and do it. Uh-oh. It's much harder to do it right in the middle, right? And the further down you go, oh, look at this. 
All right, there we go. All right, and now that's down low. I've got two pieces there. I'm still here. So we have this. Now I'm going to go for another one right here in the middle, down low. See, when you do this, the thing is real wobbly. So now this whole thing is going to be standing on the pillar. Whoop, 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 right in the middle. Oh, baby. All right, so what I'm trying to illustrate here for you is that what Jesus says is very interesting. He says that it doesn't matter really per se what's above. So it's down here that really matters, right? So see, I can sit here and I can take a piece off right here. doesn't matter. But when you start going down low, things you're jeopardizing the whole house. So I could take this one and the next one I pull out from right here, guess what? Oh, oh, and oh. Okay, I forgot to yell. Jenga. Now, this one, let's move that over. This one here, this is Jesus' overall point, is that it is built strong at the bottom. So I can sit here and I can play around with this, right? I can whack on the side with relative force and it's really not going anywhere. Why? Because all the pieces are here low. Foundation is strong, right? So uh, if you use this as an illustration of life, what we often do is we will play around a lot up in here, right? Just to use everyday examples. You remember that time when you thought to yourself, boy, you know, I really need to recenter our family life on, uh, on spiritual things. And, uh, but then you decided, nah, they really want to sign up for this one other thing. And they're young and all oh, precious memories and yada, yada, yada. So you decided not to re-anchor yourself spiritually. You decided to sign up for one more thing. You, you pulled a piece out here, right? And then you decided, hey, you know what? It's really not. If she wants to date him, um, then, then, then that's her, her choice. And I don't want to get stand in the way, regardless of what he's like. And, you know, my mother-in-law, um, I, don't, I don't really care for her. Uh, and so I'm just going to stop speaking to her. I know what the Bible says about loving your enemies. Uh, I know what it says about, um, you know, loved ones and such, but I'm going to ignore that one. Uh, I know that um, I should probably save some money here and there. I know I should probably um, make sure that I'm honoring God with the... Now, you're not supposed to do what I'm doing. I'm cheating right now, which is kind of holding the tower up. Um, but, you know, um, I'll ask God's forgiveness as soon as this is over. Um, and And... So here we are, and piece by piece, we build this thing to where it's completely fragile, completely fragile, right? Now, the problem is, right, you can build that kind of life, and you just keep pulling piece after piece after piece out, and as soon as it happens, almost everything shakes out. But the one thing that you can't do is pull that out, right? Look how fragile that is because you jack not just with the tower itself, but the foundation. The foundation is messed up. So, for instance, and what, what kind of thing would, would be a bottom pillar? How about this one? You know, putting God at first doesn't matter. As long as Jesus is in my top three, I'm fine. That's the kind of foundation you got. And so when the storm comes, and by the storm, it could be a literal storm, or it could be a figurative one, the job loss, oh, let's say some virus hits the United States and all of a sudden your life is turned upside down, you know. But that last one, where he says, seek first the kingdom of God and you decide you're not going to do that, that's the one that moves the whole house. Splat.
So, what's he saying? He's saying you got to be strong at the bottom. You got to. Because if you don't want to be like one of these, you want it to be strong, the foundation has to be secure. What's the foundation? He says it's to hear his words and do what he says. That brings us to throwback principle number two. Actions build better than words. They don't speak louder than words. They build better than words according to Jesus. In the story, you'll remember, it's not the person who simply hears him or believes uh, in some weird, fuzzy way that that's the right thing to do. He says it's the one who hears his words and does what it says is the one who builds their house on the rock. So we build a strong foundation not just by hearing his words or, or believing in them, but by doing them too. And so there isn't, again, some parallel universe where uh, our lives are built securely by hearing what he said or thinking that what he said was admirable or, or um, just kind of tipping our cap to what he said. It's in the doing of what he said that we bring him honor and glory and we begin to build our lives on something that lasts. If Jesus, for instance, instructs us to love our enemies and we think that it's noble, okay, good for us, that doesn't really do anything to put it on, on the foundation that we need. It's not simply going, oh, I think everybody ought to do that or putting a bumper sticker on the car. It's when we take the steps to do what he's asked us to do. That's when we begin the process of building something that really will last in the midst of a storm. What builds our lives and our families is a commitment supported by action to love our enemies, for instance. To do anything else is the equivalent of standing outside a restaurant saying, yeah, everybody should eat instead of going in and taking your seat and eating or standing outside the grocery store griping about how everybody should have toilet paper but not going inside. It's the doing. It's going in. It's taking initiative to put into practice what Jesus said. So to illustrate, we're going back to the world of board games for a moment. So now I get to introduce or reintroduce you to the wonderful game of checkers. Checkers is, oh, I guess the poor man's chess. It's a way of, of building things, a game of competition where you're hopping over people and you're trying to move chips across the board. If you've never played checkers, try it on this week. It's a lot of fun. I like checkers because, again, a quiet game, as God intended. So um, what happens, I want to use this as a metaphor for life, okay? You may have had these friends. You get deep into a game. I usually had this happen with Monopoly. It seemed like all my friends, I would be beating them in Monopoly. I don't recall doing this myself. It's not that I never thought about it, though. Uh, you're losing at a game. And so you make a decision that something has to be done because you can't bear the thought that you're going to lose the game. So you get up, and we'll just say accidentally, you happen to just kind of kick the board over. Oh, look at that, right? You get up and you go get your nachos or whatever. You come back and whoever you were playing is terribly upset because they felt like they were winning and they question your motives and all of this kind of stuff, right? But no matter what game you're playing, somebody can always just take the board and turn it over. Now, it's great, I suppose, uh, you know, that uh, if you're losing a game, oh man, we got to start all over now, look at that. But if you're winning... I mean, what a bummer, right? You're like, come on, man, I was winning there. Well, let me put it to you this way. If you were really winning, unless you're using this as a metaphor for life, if you were really winning, COVID-19 didn't ruin your life. 
because the life you were building was different than one that was just anchored strictly in possessions, stuff, the stability and security of your job, all that kind of stuff. You understand that God is going to get you through this. And so even if it's hard to see right now, you're fairly confident that God is going to see you through. Now, if you were losing, you might even look at this as either more of the same uh, or it might be something that you go, hey, this might give me the opportunity for a, a, a new start. I recognize now that I was building my life in the wrong places. Um, this has changed my perspective. Now, if you've upset at what happened during COVID-19 and you, because you felt like you were winning, the odds are you were winning at the wrong game. That was the problem. And so maybe our passage today will challenge you to think about what kind of life you're building, what kind of game you're really playing. Are you playing the one that God called you to play? Or are you doing something else? Are you over on your own agenda? Because no matter what happens, there's going to come a time where the board gets kicked over. Could be COVID-19, could be something else that goes on in life. And so again, what Jesus wants us to do is build a life that survives the board being turned over, Jenga happening. He wants us to build a life that lasts. So maybe it's time to start a better game. Maybe it's time to start building something different. Maybe it's time to start a better game that's really not a game at all. It's not the game of life, if you will. It's actually real life. One of the things that Jesus points out here that can't be avoided is he seems to imply that no matter what, this is third point, it's going to rain. It's going to rain. So out of all the cities in the United States that are the most susceptible to natural disasters, okay, I'm just take the top 10, take a guess at which of the top 10, how many of those are in California? Seven of the top 10. We actually come in at number nine here in the great city of San Diego. But take a wild guess at where most people live. California. Now, do you want to take a guess at which state is least prone to natural disasters? Give yourself two seconds, three seconds, think it over. It is the great state of Michigan. So one could simply say, you know, I'm going to go to Michigan because in Michigan, there's no danger of natural disasters. Well, if you want to log on to something or give some relative a call in Michigan, ask them what they're doing today, where they went, where they rode their bicycle, where they drove their car. Did they go to work today? Nope. They were at home just like everybody in California was. And the reason is because you can never protect yourself completely from what's going to happen. You just can't. So if it's not an earthquake, it's not a flood, it might be a virus, but it's going to rain. Figuratively speaking, what Jesus says here is there will be a storm and that it really is, if you will, a matter of life and death and not just in this life, but in the next. Remember, this, this whole story is told in the context of who's going to enter the kingdom of heaven and who won't. So in our story this morning, the choice is really between hearing and not doing what Jesus says. That's the guy who builds his house on the sand or hearing what Jesus says and doing it. That's the person who builds their life on the rock. And it's not that we know or doubt the truth concerning certain things. It's that often we, we kind of don't, we don't care very much. We kind of think that we're going to be fine. Just like people move into certain places and they kind of go, ah, you know, whatever, it's not going to happen to me, blah, 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 blah. There's always a time where what we've built gets put to the test. I remember when my kids were very young, my dad and I 
This is a very father and son kind of thing to do. We decided that we were going to build my kids a playset. So we went out in the backyard and we took this box of, uh, it was a wood playset. We opened it all up and we took out an enormous bag of bolts and it had washers and screws and all sorts of stuff inside. And so we got to work and we spent all day long putting this, it was a pretty good size wood playset together. When we got done, it looked magnificent. I mean, we, we pulled and tugged on it and everything was great. However, uh, there was one small thing. There, was, there were a lot of nuts and bolts left when it was done. Uh, so we had this big bag of nuts and bolts on the side. We went. My dad, a pretty handsy guy. You know, he's great working around the house. He's a, he's a uh, you know, general contractor even. And he's like, boy, you know, he tested it and pulled on it. Everything was great. And our kids he actually used the play set for a while. It worked just fine. But then the weather came. We were living in Texas at the time. Gets really hot, really cold, really wet there. And so that wood started to contract and open up, do that over and over and over again. The rain came and pounded on it. It hailed. We even got a little ice. We got snow. Then it was 105 outside. And then it was whatever. And as we went on, that thing began to sway a little bit. I would notice it would start swaying when my kids were swinging on it. And the reason was, uh, well, it wasn't built the way it was supposed to be built. We kind of used most of the stuff that we needed to use. We built it strong enough, strong enough for us, what we thought we needed. But once the kids started getting bigger, once the weather started taking its toll, our little venture was exposed for what it was, which was, we didn't build it the way we were supposed to build it, not the way the person who wrote the manual said that it ought to be built. Jesus says that such people are the very definition of fools. That illustration of the house he uses because he knows that what houses mean to us. They represent our very lives. And that's why for most of us, unless we know how to do so, we usually ask somebody else to build our house for us. Very few of us would actually dare to try and build our own house. It would be foolish for somebody who doesn't know how to build a house or to try and do it themselves. And Jesus says, that's exactly right. In the same way, it's very foolish to hear Jesus' words and then not obey them. It's like trying to build a house with all the parts, without the foundation set the right way and without building it the way that it ought to be built. So Jesus says for us, among other things, Seek first the kingdom of God. And the question then becomes, okay, we've heard it. Now are we going to do it? Are we going to start ordering our lives in such a way that we are, in fact, seeking the kingdom of God first? We'll all have to make that decision at some point. As we do, we'll be making literally a foundational decision. Where are we going to choose to build? On what will we build? And hearing the words of Jesus and doing them is building our house on rock, not sand. Hearing his words and not doing them is like building a house on sand. So some of us might even try the experiment of saying, okay, how about a little rock and a little bit of sand? Mixing rock and sand, which actually weakens rock, by the way. Jesus says, no, it's got to be me, and i got to go first. Proverbs 16, 25 says, There was a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. In Judges, a time that's spoken of very grimly in Scripture, in the time of the Judges, it said that everybody does what is good and right in their own eyes. And that's not a compliment. 
Uh, it's a way of simply saying people are about to act very foolishly because they're disregarding what God says and going their own way. So let me ask you this. When did it become obvious who the wise man was and who the foolish man was? Well, it's when the storm came. Because we so enjoy our right to build, even as we understand we may not be the best builders, we emphasize, instead, we try to emphasize good weather. We try to find some place that there are no storms. So what do I mean? I want to introduce you to a woman. Her name is Mary Claire Orenick, Manhattan Beach, California. She was diagnosed, this is most everybody would love to be referred to this way, not with COVID-19. She was diagnosed as the happiest woman alive. Now think about that. How does one determine who the happiest person on earth is? Okay. It doesn't matter. I doubt they knew either, but they picked her. Let's talk about her for just a, a, a moment. Okay, so she is a 50-year-old woman. Okay, they asked women between the ages of 45 and 55 to describe the ideal life. Okay, so here's what women picked. Okay, don't shoot the messenger. Okay, this was USA Today. Okay, don't blame me. Y'all said it. Here we go. Women ages 45 to 55, they wanted to live in California, work full-time, Household income of more than 120000 a year. Report a good standard of living. They wanted to be married with no children under the age of 18. Sorry, kids. No caregiving responsibilities. Strong support from family and friends. Uh, they wanted to have between one and five hours of social interaction a day. They wanted to work as a manager, executive, or official. They wanted to be satisfied with their jobs. They wanted to view their supervisor as a partner and not a boss. They wanted to work in an open, trusting environment. They wanted a short commute to work under 10 minutes. They wanted to exercise for 30 minutes or more on three or more days a week. They wanted to eat five servings of fruits and vegetables four or more days per week. Why? I have no idea, but that's what women said. Don't smoke. They didn't want to smoke. They wanted to be free of stress, sadness, and depression, free of chronic health conditions, pain, and other illnesses. They didn't want to be obese with a body mass index of over, uh, of less than, wait, they wanted a body mass index of less than 30. They wanted to use their strengths to do what they do best every day. They wanted spirituality and religion to play an important part of daily life. And lastly, they wanted to be highly positive and hopeful about their lives five years from now. Now, let's go back to old Mary Claire here, okay? Mary Claire Orinick, 50 years old, loves her community of Manhattan Beach, California. Works 40 to 60 hours per week for Siemens Healthcare. Household income of more than 120000 Very satisfied with the beach community she lives in. She owns her home. She's been married for 23 years. She does break one down. She's a 17-year-old son who's still at home, hopefully getting ready to fly the coop here in a year. Her mom's healthy. Her father's deceased. Uh, she has 10 friends she can count on to jump in if needed, although they're scattered all over the U.S. She spends every night with her family, walks and talks regularly with a neighbor, socializes at her son's sporting events. She is the director of business development for Siemens, engaged in work in positive, healthy ways, has the freedom to make everyday decisions and create strategies, feels respect and trust from her supervisors, works at home at least two days a week. I bet she regrets that one now. Uh, and her drive to work uh, the other five days of the week if she chooses to go into work her commute's actually 45 minutes active about eight hours a week belongs to a gym has workout equipment in her garage and walks with her husband eats five 
Small meals a day could do better, she admits, on eating fruits and vegetables. Don't worry about that one. Doesn't smoke, has had a, a bout with brief depression after her father died. Excellent physical health, five foot six, 115 pounds, BMI 18.6. Feels she gets to use her strength on spirituality. She says she grew up Catholic but doesn't go to church, doesn't practice yoga or meditate. Very optimistic about her life and feels fortunate to have a great family and community. Now, what is it? that when you heard the description of what uh, those women said would make them happy and what Mary Claire lives, what struck you about those lists? I'll tell you what struck me. No storms. Not a thing wrong. That's how we define happiness. No rain. You ever live in a world like that? I can count the number of people that I know that have had a life like that on no fingers. That doesn't exist. And that's why Jesus is trying to prepare us for actual life, not life, you know, somewhere else. Because this world is not built in a storm-free zone. This world, he says, it is going to rain. And so how you build your life matters greatly. I'm happy for her. I'm glad she's found some happiness in her life. But Jesus says that's not enough. That life's ultimate goal isn't fundamentally just to be happy. That the fundamental goal of life is to glorify God. And then in doing that, you receive abundant life in return from God. That that's the best life there is. And it's the only kind of life that will survive real storms. I mean, Mary Claire's Life will not stay that way, sadly. She won't have good health forever. She may lose her job in her home tomorrow. I mean, her husband may die someday. Her friends may move away. Then what? Can a life built that way last when what supposedly makes it happy can't last? This is the question Jesus asks. And so today, let me challenge you with this. Start over. In some ways, the board's been cleared. For those of you whose house just went splat, you've been given a great opportunity to rebuild on a different foundation, one that's more secure, more stable, one that actually leads to abundant life. If your house is already built on the rock, then keep building. Shore up that foundation and help as many people as you can build the same way. I mean, again, if you've been playing chess or checkers with somebody and been losing badly only to have somebody accidentally kick over the board, well, there is opportunity in that. And if your board's been turned over, use the opportunity. Use the opportunity to start now. If you're losing, you get a fresh start. If you were actually winning, your life is probably still intact. If you were winning and now you feel like you've lost everything, you were probably either actually losing or you were winning at the wrong game. The real game, I mean real life, the one that survives storms, the only way it survives is by walking in the fear and reverence of the Lord, hearing the words of Jesus and doing what he says. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I think most people 
Somebody once wrote that most people really believe the Christian commandments, for example, to love one's neighbor as oneself, are intentionally a little too severe. A little like putting the clock ahead half an hour to make sure of not being late that morning. But like putting that play set together with my father, that's really not what they're intended to do. They're there for our benefit. Yes, to glorify God first, but they're also there for our benefit to help us understand the nature of life the nature of the world that we're living in and how to build something that doesn't come crashing down with the slightest breeze. What if Jesus gave us these commands as a way of life to make life more abundant for us and help us avoid things that harm us? What if Jesus gives these instructions to help us build lives that last, that weather the storms of life? That's exactly why he tells this little parable. If he wanted to conceal his will or if it didn't really matter, he might have either not told us at all or he might have taught us uh, he might have taught similarly to society, you know, hey, look, build how you want, where you want, wherever you want. It really doesn't matter. All houses are basically the same. It's your personal choice where you build, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Now, I know that foundations are not the sexiest part of a house. Nobody stands on the curb outside a, a, a really nice house, a nice looking house, and it says, wow, you know, look at that foundation. But what Jesus is trying to do is to say, when the storm comes, you're, you will have the nicest house in the neighborhood. You might have the only house in the neighborhood when the storm comes. And so because it's going to rain, he reaches out to us and says, look, here's how you build something that lasts. And he extends his hand to us, and an invitation goes to you to say, start today, shore up that foundation. Don't, if you keep pulling those sticks out from the base... Like in Jenga, it's going to fall. But Jesus offers you through the hearing of his words and doing what they say, a way to build your life in a way that it will last. How do we start? We start with reverence for God by walking in the fear and reverence of the Lord and by hearing the words of Jesus Christ this morning and beginning to do what he says. Once he told us today, the beginning of hearing and doing what he says is hearing and doing what he says. And so may we start today. May God bless the hearing of his word. At this time, we're going to be taking communion. And this morning as we do, we do this every week at New Vintage Church. We take some unleavened bread and we take a cup and we uh, filled with juice or wine and we pass it around in remembrance of Jesus who died on our behalf. And he said to us, do this in remembrance of me. So in the spirit of hearing what he said and doing it, we want to bring him to mind this morning and hear the echoes of what we've heard him say this morning as we share the Lord's Supper together. So let me offer a prayer for us and then we'll take communion together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for the wisdom that Jesus gives us, we give you thanks. Father, for the ability to start fresh, we give you thanks for giving us a way of understanding how we're to build this life, whether it's life on the job or life at home. Father, may we start by hearing and embracing every single word of Jesus. May we, Father, never try to win at the wrong game, but, Father, actually do things that bring honor and glory to your name and help us build lives, Father, that survive deep storms, whether it's COVID-19 
or whatever it is that, that's going to come down the pike down the road, something that's going to really challenge where our house is built. Father, may we build our house on the foundation of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.